Good morning, everybody. Good morning. Welcome today to Lighthouse Bible Church. Let's begin by entering into a prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and praise you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We want to thank you, Father, and praise you for your grace. We want to thank you and praise you for your power and your mercy and your might and your genius, your love, your forgiveness. We thank you for your son's work on the cross, his death and resurrection. We thank you, Father, for the fact that salvation is so simple that a person just needs to hear the good news about your son's death and resurrection, and they will believe it, and they'll be saved forever. Father, this morning we ask, too, that that gift of the Holy Spirit that we would thank you for today, and we would ask that the Spirit would guide us in all that will be going on here in our service today and when we leave. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let us now now stand and we'll sing a song together. Uh, Perhaps I could have done a better job and not pick a song this morning that has the word flood in it. But hopefully we'll be okay in the coming rains down here in South Florida. All righty, as we get started today, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. First of all, next Sunday is the first Sunday of May. So we'll be celebrating the Lord's Supper together next Sunday. Kind of feels like we should do it today. It's like one more day left in April. It's almost the first. But Also, again, very excited about the fact that we are going to be moving probably at the end of May. Please keep that in prayer. Want to put up the address again this morning. It's 3134 North Federal Highway. Lighthouse Point. Please pray for the for everything that has to come together right now. We're working on insurance, and there's just a lot of details. So please pray that it all comes together. Do hope that if if and when we need any help, that many of you are able to join us, um, so we can work together on whatever needs to be done in that building. And that's not my department, but I do know we're going to need we need help going forward. Another thing, a schedule note, I mentioned this last week, I will be taking time off both in May and June. And here are the dates, there's three, three Thursdays, three Bible studies, and then two Sundays. I won't be here. So again, it's in May, it's the 25th and the 28th. In June, it's going to be the 22nd, the 25th, and the 29th. And with that, I think I will use up all my PTO for the year. I'm not sure. I have to check that out. Okay. Let's get started this morning. I see some of you are coming down those dates. We'll give you another couple of seconds. I saw the more enterprising of you just took a picture, which is another way to do it. (laughs) Uh, Or maybe even if you're even better, you already put it in your calendar. Who knows? Who knows? All right, let's turn now to the Gospel of John, chapter 13, starting today in verse 31. John, chapter 13, verse 31. And I'll read the passage. By the way, the title of today's message, as usual, comes out of our passage today. And it's a new commandment, a new commandment I give to you. We're going to see more about that. But again, let's start this morning in John chapter 13, verse 31. Therefore, when he had gone out, he being Judas, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. Now is the time that the Son of Man is to be glorified. God is to be glorified in him. And if God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. I just want to point out the first time through that notice he begins with the word now and he ends with the word immediately in verse 22. Verse 30, verse 32, verse 33. Little children, I'm with you only a little while longer. And then you will seek me. And as I said to the Jews, now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, 
Where I go, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow later. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. As we ended last Sunday, we saw Judas had left the upper room at, at Jesus' request or more like order. What you do, do quickly. And then the Bible says it was night. He entered the night, his final night, the darkness of his soul. With Judas gone now, Jesus is now going to prepare his faithful disciples for what's about to come. What's about to come the next day. And then what's about to come 40 days later when Jesus will depart to be with the father. At the same time, he is also going to teach them how they should live thereafter. How should they live in light of the fact that he is soon going to leave them in light of the fact that that. As he has, he's hinted a couple of times already that he is going to die. All right. How are they? What are they supposed to do when that happens? This passage this morning is only eight verses, but it's power packed. These eight verses tell a story. They present a drama and it's four things in order. We're going to look at these one at a time this morning. It's a story of glory. And then it's a story of a departure, a separation. And it's a story of love. And then it's a story of denial. All of those things are in these four verses. Again, it's a very dramatic thing. It's remember, Jesus is human as well as God. And we enter into this when we consider the fact that all this is going on and that in that there are human beings that are experiencing this together. He's talking about his glory. I mean, that would be enough to really consider it this morning and for them to consider it just to say his, he's going to be glorified. I wonder how. I wonder what that means. What does that mean for us? But then there's, he tells them he's going to leave them. Soon he's not going to be there. So you kind of have the high of the highs and the low of the lows in a sense. And then he, he continues, though. He says, I want you to love one another now. See, see, when I've been here, the focus has been on me and my father. But I'm going to go back to my father and you're going to be here. And I want you to love one another. So that's another high and a challenge. Then it ends with with the Lord predicting. And when he predicts something, it always comes to pass that Peter will deny him three times before the third watch of the next evening, of this final evening. So that's what I mean about this dramatic in all kinds of ways. And, and so this morning, we're going to look at this passage in this particular order with these four elements of this story. At the end, it's a story about the power of God, as well as the weakness of man. It's a story of victory, ultimately, though, and hope in the face of tremendous evil and darkness that has already started to come on the scene with with Judas Iscariot leaving to betray the Lord. Let's begin this morning with the first element, which is the glory, the glory. Look at verses 31 and 32 again. John 13, 31, 32. Therefore, when Judas had gone out, Jesus said, now is the son of man glorified. And God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in the Son of Man, God will also glorify the Son of Man in himself and will glorify him, the Son of Man, immediately. Now, there's there's a tremendous back and forth here. All right. You know, Jesus is going to say the fact that he's going to tell he's going to talk to the father and he's going to say, bring me back to the glory I had with you before the world began. So this is all this sort of intertwining glory of the father and the son has always existed before the dawn of time. But but with the son of God becoming the son of man, now the drama enters a new plane, a new place, a new reality having to do with us and our fall and things on earth. And so it's going to happen now. The son of man, see, Jesus is in his humanity, is now going to be glorified and then God will be glorified in him. And then God will glorify him in himself. It's, it's not a hard to picture, but if you could we take it one piece at a time, you can kind of see how tremendous this is. Now is the son of man glorified. 
the humanity of Jesus Christ is about to be glorified. And, and how is that going to happen? Well, it turns out it's going to happen because he's going to die on the cross for them and be raised from the dead. And in so doing, God the Father is glorified in the Son of Man. What the Son of Man is about to do will bring great glory to God the Father. But it doesn't end there. So so now, now if God is glorified in the Son now, in the Son, in, in the activity of the Son, God the Father will also glorify the Son of Man in himself. See that? So that so that here's here's the Son of Man. What he's doing is glorifying God in him and what he's doing and who he is. And since that's going to happen, now in turn, the Father is going to glorify the Son of Man in himself. And it's almost impossible to even grasp what does it mean that that he's going to glorify the humanity of Jesus Christ in himself. I mean, if you just stop that, glorify him, that's one thing. But he's going to glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. The beginning and the end of what Jesus says here in verses 31 to 32, the two words tell a story as well. Now, right now, in other words, not in eternity past, not in a million years from now, but right now, that night and the next morning is the son of man glorified. And then at the end, God will glorify him in himself and will glorify him immediately. So you have this tremendous sense of things happening quickly. Things happen in then and will change everything because because the glory of the Lord will be revealed. And then and then the activity of that glory will come upon the son of man. But basically, something is about to happen that will glorify the son of man. And that in turn will glorify his father. Now, let's talk about glory a little bit this morning and what it means. There's several different definitions of glory, but I'm going to choose this one this morning. I mean, it's very, they're all pretty similar. Today, I want to just tell you that glory is the revelation. Glory is always revelation. Just keep that. Always, always manifestation, revelation. And it always has something to do with God. Today, I use the word majesty. You could use the essence of God. Okay, it's, it's really the same thing, although I want to point out the majesty, the, 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 the greatness of it all. The majesty of his power. Glory is the revelation of God's power. Glory is the revelation of God's love. Now, I want you, as I say these things, now I want you to look at the cross. And I want you to think about the fact that in in the tremendous weakness of of a man, the son of man dying, God's power is, is shown, is brought to visibility. His love. Jesus is going to say a man has no greater love than to give up his life for his friends. But it's the, but the motivation of this whole life of Jesus, why he came, why he died, why he rose again, why he's coming back to the Father. It all begins with, remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him will never perish but has eternal life. So what am I saying? I'm saying that just like the glory begins in the Godhead, and comes down and displayed here on earth as in total. In, in particular, we can look at God's love and see how that gets worked out in the same way. The Father and the Son love one another from all of eternity. God created the human race and the human race fell. And so God the Son comes down and humbles himself, becomes human while remaining God. And then all of a sudden, he is the revelation of the love of God. He is. And then he's, he's going to do things that demonstrate that. And then, of course, the grace of God. He, he's full of grace and truth. That's what John tells us. And that, that's on display. That's the glory of God. And to a certain extent, the grace of God, you could say, is the, is the greatest coming together of his glory. Because so, so many things come together when we say it's grace. It's forgiveness. It's mercy. It's love. It's righteousness. That God, What God is doing um, it, in grace on the basis of the death of Christ on the cross is, is completely re- revealing his righteousness, that, that, that he was able to save the human race and not compromise his righteousness. So all of that is in play when we talk about revelation of God's majesty. And in particular, thinking about it this morning in terms of at the cross, the glory is, re- is revealed. 
Now, back in chapter 12, and I'd like you to turn there now. Go to John chapter 12, verse 23. You know, when we talk about this great story of what's about to come, when we talk about the judgment, the, 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 the trials of Jesus, the suffering, his death on the cross, his resurrection, then he's going to ascend into heaven. And then he's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. We, we see that in steps, right? God doesn't see it in steps. God sees it as one tremendous thing. So when he says, for example, the hour has come, he's talking about all of that. When he says now, in the passage we just read, he's talking about all of that. When he says immediately, he's talking about all of that. Because, you know, in God's mind... Right. A thousand years is one day. And so you could do the math. What's a thousand divided by 24? I mean, that's that's how many how many years could be in an hour as far as he's concerned. Now, verse 23. And Jesus answered them, them being his disciples. The hour has come. Well, let's notice again. What is he going to say? Well, the son of man to be glorified. And he gives us a hint, sort of a in a, in a, in a metaphor as he so often did in his parables. He says first, he sort of introduces the idea by saying, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus is gentle. Right? He, he, he doesn't hit them over the head all the time. He'll hit Peter over the head. But for the most part, he brings brings his disciples along a little bit at a time with, with fits and starts and fall back and all of that. He's, he's about to cause them to have to focus on the fact that he's about to die and leave them. But here in chapter 12, he kind of eases into it with a picture. So at first they're allowed to think about the grain of wheat, not Jesus dying yet. And the, grain, and the truth of the matter is that even a grain of wheat remains alone unless it falls into the earth and dies yet. So, so, so all the more so the sacrifice on the cross is the means in which a great family can be gathered. If it dies, the grain he's talking about, it bears much fruit, but the whole time he's thinking about himself and he's going to die. Remember we saw that. And then he's going to turn around and he's going to start to bring in this whole idea of what's going to happen between the disciples. He says, listen, I want you to serve. Right. Just like I have served. I want you to follow me. But even here, in a subtle way, you could say he's referring to his impending death on the cross. When he says even here in John 12, 23, that the hour has come for the son of man to be glorified. He is referring to his death on the cross. That's the grain of wheat falling into the earth and dying. But then the glories to follow. If it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, I want you to notice something this morning, both here and in our passage, that who is it that's about to be glorified in verse 23? The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Right. Well, why is that significant? Well, you see, we've seen this many times, but Son of God refers to the deity of Christ. Son of Man refers to the humanity of Christ. So this is talking about the fact that Jesus will be glorified in his humanity. This is startling. I mean, it's one thing to understand that he's glorified in his deity. Like we can all get that. But that a, that, that a man, a human being, would be glorified as a human being is unprecedented. And it's only because of who he is and what he's about to do. And the way in which he, in his humanity now, God, God deity can't die on a cross. God deity can't go into the grave. God deed, he doesn't meet, need to be resurrected from the dead. No, it's the human Jesus Christ. What he did on the cross, he really bled. He really suffered as a human being. He really died just like every other member of the human race dies. It's the same thing. He died. Now, what's rather unique is that he was raised from the dead. But even then, he was raised from the dead in a human body. We say a glorified human body but still a human body. It wasn't a vision or apparition or an angel that temporarily took hold of a body for a while. No, he's completely human. 
the glorified humanity of Jesus Christ. Please look at John chapter 1, verse 14. This gospel is put together so that so such that things get said from the very beginning and then they get worked out. And then and then now we're coming to the point where we have the, the climax of the story of the life, death and resurrection of Christ. And so and we can hear again and think about again things that John has written, by the way, to us. Right. Where we are to this right now in chapter one wasn't said to the disciples. It's said to us. John is writing these things to us. Look at John chapter 1, verse 14. And the word, the son of God from all of eternity, the word became flesh, human, and dwelt among us. See, John is reflecting on the fact that God took form of a human being, and I, I saw him. I was with him. I saw him. Now he said, I saw his what? Glory. What did that mean? Right. What did it mean? Well, well, you know, it's not. And again, it's it's the fact that in a human in a human body, this person they interacted with, we saw glory in that person. Glory as of the only begotten of the father. But notice notice how that glory was displayed. Full of grace and truth. Okay, full of grace and truth. And again, as we see so often, our ideas, our concepts of what it means to have glory. Okay, the, the apostles that night were, were thinking that their, gl- their glory would be who would be sitting next to them, who's the greatest, right? We think of glory as the spectacular. You know, people people want these spectacular things so they can say, I've seen the glory of God. Well, my friends, you can see the glory of God each and every day whenever the, whenever God is displayed in his grace, in his grace. You can see the glory of God anytime you want. As a matter of fact, I dare say all of us, I know that all of us have been the beneficiaries of the grace of God. Well, guess what? You are now a vessel of his glory. Truth. When you understand, boy, particularly today, when you understand that every word in the word of God is is completely true and you have been blessed to be able to have this renew your mind and in, in the world that we have today this is so precious if you want to know why, the, why our country is falling apart it's because there's a famine of the word of god now where is the famine it's ultimately in, in our hearts it's ultimately people that don't ever hardly ever come into contact with the truth, hardly ever have an opportunity to dwell on these things. I say hardly ever have the opportunity. It's their own decision, of course, for the most part, although we have tons of false teaching that make it even harder for people that want to know the truth. But the precious thing about Jesus and the thing that makes him manifest the glory of God is that he is the truth. And that's why he's called the word here. He is the truth. And then I want you to go to verse 18. Just flip, go forward to a few more verses. No one has seen God at any time. No one has seen God. That means the deity. No one has seen the deity of God, him as God. Now, you might say, well, what about Moses? Well, Moses uh, had, a, had, a, had a manifestation, but, he, but even when, he, when, when Moses asked to see his glory, God, the Lord said, you got to turn around. I'm going to go by you. And guess what? I'm going to show you what it really is, which is my mercy. You see, that's how the glory gets manifested. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten God who was in the bosom of the Father, he has explained him. Remember I said just a minute ago that glory is a revelation. It's a display. Or as John says here, it's an explanation. What does that mean? What does it mean that the, that the only begotten God, Jesus, the son of God in the flesh, who is in the bosom of the father now, right hand, has explained him, has explained him? Well, quite simply, Jesus explained the father by showing. You know, you can tell and you can show. What do you think is more powerful? Yes. Showing, right? You can say you love somebody and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but it's more powerful when you show them, right? Same thing here. You know, uh, everybody, we can all talk about God, and we should. 
But there's one who actually showed God, and that's Jesus Christ. Because he would say things like, I and the Father are one. That's how we explain the Father, in, in who he is, what he did. Jesus explained the Father by showing who the Father is. And what's showing who God is? Revealing his glory. Revealing his glory. So Jesus revealed the Father's glory. And he explained in that sense the Father many times in his life. I mean, in the Gospel of John, whenever he would, would, would perform a miracle, he would say that the Father has allowed me to do that. So it, was really a, it really was a manifestation of his Father when he did that. The words that he says, I speak nothing except what the Father has told me to speak. See, so all about him is revealing, explaining the Father. But make no mistake about it. It was his death and resurrection that explained the full measure of who God is, his character. If I could, I'll put it in the way that Paul puts it in chapter 3 of the book of Ephesians. Jesus on the cross and in his resurrection showed the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of God's character, of God's character. Don't miss that. It's what he did. It's how he, it's what he showed. It was it was a motivation too that he wanted to he wanted to glorify his father. He was to be obedient to him in all things. So back in our passage in verses in chapter 13 verses 21 to 31 to 32 now Quite simply, the glory is that is in view now. And I'm going to belabor this a minute because it's sort of foreign to human thinking. Now, wait a minute. Somebody's dying and that's a glorious thing. You know, we always got to get get that our minds around that. But it's true. The glory in view is that of the death and resurrection of Jesus. What does that mean? It means that God the Father was glorified in everything about what the Son of Man did. In dying and rise. So his obedience glorified the Father. His ability to sacrifice glorified the Father. And by the way, he's about to tell his disciples what I did in the way that I'm able to do it. I want you to do in the way that you're able to do it. So what's that saying? Well, it's saying that when we exercise our choices to serve others, to sacrifice for others, we too are glorifying God in that and demonstrating who God is. Often we do it in weakness. Often we do it incompletely. And we know the only way we can do it is with the power of God. But yet we're a vessel demonstrating, showing who God is. So God the Father is glorified in these things. The obedience of Jesus, his sacrifice completely himself when he died, when he was raised from the dead, by the way, that's the that's the big thing that the Father did for the Son of Man to glorify him. The first thing, not the first thing, but the first thing in the sequence here, raise him from the dead and then exalt him at his right hand. And God the Father is glorified in all of that just as much as Jesus is. The glory. Next, we have the departure, the separation. Please now look at chapter 13, verse 33. John 13, 33. The the treatment of of the departure is in kind of two pieces. And there's a couple of verses in between the first time it comes up and the second time. So we're just going to talk about this together because it's all talking about Jesus departing and that separation that's going to occur between him and his disciples. John 13, 33. Little children. That's a, that is an expression of intimacy, of affection, but also of Jesus is the is the Father. So he's not God the Father, but he's the over, he's the Shepherd, and he looks upon us as his little children. Very tender thing, but it also is a humbling thing. We have to remember that without him we can do nothing. Little children, I am with you a little while longer. Then you will seek me, and as I said to the Jews. Now I also say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Where I am going, you cannot come. 
See, see, if if you put yourself in that position where you've just had this this experience, if I could put it that way, this insight into the very glory of God, and then Jesus says, "Okay, now I got to tell you something else. I'm leaving. I'm leaving. I want you to feel the 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 poignancy, the 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 the, the sort of void in the heart. Wait a minute. We want you here. Now that we know more and more about who you are, we want you." No, I'm going to leave you. And where I'm going, you can't follow me. But then, again, now look at, look at verse 36. Simon Peter said to him, oh, by the way, a reasonable question. Where, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going? Now, he said that so that he could boast in the sense of saying, hey, no matter where you go, I'm coming with you. Right? Even though Jesus said you can't, Peter said, no, no, no. I can. I'm gonna. I'll go to the mat for you. Just like he said that he's he's done that. We saw that earlier in this chapter, where where Jesus said to to the disciples, "I'm gonna wash your feet," and he comes to Peter and Jesus says, "You're not washing my feet." <laughs> Think about how bold he is, and, and kind of stupid, like missing the point again and again. But he had, of course, he had that fervor, and and, and he God's Jesus is gonna use that, as well as being humbled by what we're about to see. He's gonna use that later on too. So Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus answered, where I go, repetition, you cannot follow me now. He introduces that word now. We saw it again. And what's about to happen, you cannot. And he doesn't even say will not here. He says you can't. It's not possible for you to follow me now. Then he says, but you, and he's looking directly at Peter when he says this, you will follow later. And so now Peter's thinking to himself, okay, I got to wait. Okay, I don't want to wait. Okay, so um, why would I, if, if, you, if I'm going to follow you later, why don't I just come now? You know? <laughs> uh, that's Peter, right? So but he's not really listening. He's kind of dense. He's the one who would say, I don't want you to go to Jerusalem. You know, I, and he's basically saying to him, I don't want you to die for the sins of the world. But he doesn't think of it that way. Besides, you know, um, as readers, we already know where Jesus is going because John told us earlier in this chapter. Please look at John chapter 13, verse three. Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands. And, and that he had come forth from God, and where was he going? Going back to God. I mean, that's a very simple statement, isn't it? And, and in a sense, that's all we really need to know here. I mean, he, you know, we are his little children also. This is really simple. Now, there's a lot of things that come with it, but very simply, Jesus came down from heaven where his father was, and now he's, he's going to complete the mission, and he's going back to the father. Very simple. Where is he going? Peter said, where are you going? Jesus is simply saying, I'm going back to my father. And right now you can't come with me. Now, Jesus makes two points to his disciples here in these two verses, verses 33 and 36. They're simple but also very profound. And so I want you, I want to see, I want to show you what's backing this up right now. So he says, he explains to them that where he's going, they cannot come. And Peter's like, where are you going? I want to go with you. Uh, but, but, but he can't. Now, why can't he? Well, where is Jesus about to go? The now, where's he going? Well, not yes, but on the way, he's going to the cross, right? Part of this, like, so if you think about, him getting to back to his father in heaven. There's a few steps along the way, none of which Peter or any other disciples can follow him in. He is going to the cross. Now they cannot die on the cross with him. Why not? Why can't they die on the cross with him? Well, why is he there? What's he going to do? Yeah, they they can't, he, they can't die for the sins of the world. Only the Lamb of God can take away the sin of the world. So they can't go to the cross with him. Where's he going after that? 
He's going to be buried in the tomb. They, they, it's his burial. And it's nobody else's. They can't follow him into the tomb. And then he's going to be resurrected from the dead. And he is the first. He is the first to be resurrected from the dead. But he's also, remember he said, you'll follow me later. He is also the first fruits of many that will come after. And a picture of this really is Peter. Because when, remember I just said that uh, they couldn't go into the tomb with him. But after he's raised from the dead, guess what? Guess who goes into the tomb first? Peter. Yeah. So there's a following along here. But Jesus has to accomplish everything first, and they can't follow him there. And then finally, he is going to ascend to the Father in heaven. They won't be able to go with him in that trip either. Okay? And then not only that, but then he's going to be seated at the right hand of the Father. Where are you going? I'm going ultimately back to my Father, and I'm going to be seated at my Father's right hand. And guess what? No one else can ever occupy that seat. You see that? No one else. Now we can say, well, didn't he say that we're up there with him? Yeah, he did, spiritually. Now someday we're going to be raptured, and we're going to literally be there with him, but we are never going to sit in his seat at the right hand of the Father. Okay, it's not going to happen. So again, in that sense as well, where he's going, they cannot follow. At least not yet. Because on the other hand, he makes that second point. What is it? He says, you will follow me later. You will follow me later. And remember, he just remember he started, he said that, call them the little children. And you know, sometimes parents have to say to this to their children, look, you're not old enough to do what I'm going to do this weekend. Okay. You want to come hunting with me, but you're four years old. You'll, you'll shoot yourself. You'll shoot your eye out to give the example of modern culture. But later on, you can. It's kind of the same thing. You know, you will follow me later, but it's only after I have been the trailblazer and you've grown up that you can follow me later. But not now. You see, the road that Jesus looks, the road I'm about to travel on right now, I must go alone. You cannot follow me now. Later on, you will. And, and remember, he's speaking directly to Peter when he says that. Now, we know, those of us who have studied the gospel and the passion, we know that he's not going to follow Jesus in the suffering and death. He's not because of the prediction Jesus is about to make will preclude that. He will withdraw, he'll draw away before that. You know, he's not going to follow Jesus now, meaning now when he's about to go to the cross, he's not going to do that. Later on, after Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father, and then importantly, he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell the hearts of believers. See, that's when we, as it were, grow up. That's when we get matured. That's when we get this ability, these abilities that we couldn't have before that happened. And we're prepared now to follow him later. And later on, Peter would get the strength from the spirit to proclaim Jesus boldly. And not too far in the future, you know, after Jesus rises and seated at the right hand of the father and they kind of huddle again in the upper room, scared, witless, and then. Jesus, what Jesus predicted again is happening when the Holy Spirit comes on them. And then, and then they're totally different people. You know, Peter, who was afraid to even step outdoors, is now standing in, in the middle of Jerusalem preaching Jesus. Later on, you will follow me. He would suffer greatly for the sake of Jesus Christ. And ultimately, he would die for the name of Jesus Christ. And according to tradition, this is not Bible, he was crucified himself. That's that's it may have happened. It may not have happened. I think it did on the basis of what what Jesus says to him later on in chapter 21. And matter of fact, uh, let's go there right now. Look at John chapter 21, verse 18. We're going to the Sea of Tiberias. Now, there's boats to see a Tiberias and looking outside now, we might need one. 
coming down pretty hard. John chapter 21, verse 18. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were younger, when you were just kind of a child in all of this, you used to gird yourself and walk wherever you wished. But when you grow old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will gird you and bring you where you do not wish to go. See, part of following Jesus is going really where you do not wish to go sometimes. Sometimes. Now, this Jesus said, notice this, signifying by what kind of death he would glorify God. You see. So whatever it was, someone, he's going to stretch out his hands. Someone's going to bind him and take him somewhere he doesn't want to go. And so from that, it's not a big leap to say, well, he was crucified. I mean, could have died a lot of ways, but it's not a huge leap to think that he was. Because look again, verse 19. Now this Jesus says, signifying what kind of death he would glorify God. And notice this. When he had spoken this, he now said to him, what? Follow me. See the difference? Later on, you will follow me. After Jesus rises from the dead, just before he ascends to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit. He said, now you will, be, you will be soon be ready to follow me. And later on, Jesus, John, Peter did exactly that. Peter did follow Jesus in his suffering, in his death, and then all the way to heaven. All the way to heaven. Look at John chapter 14, verse 1, because the same is true. Whether we like it, well, hopefully we like it. But nothing is going to prevent us also from following Jesus. And, and including the suffering, by the way. In this world, you have trouble, right? But do not lose heart, for I have overcome the world. Okay. It, has been, it, is, it is a grace blessing for us not only to believe in Jesus, but also to suffer for his sake. So we're going to. I mean, we have, right? We kind of we have. We're going to. So that's part of it. One day, though, we're going to be we're going to be raised from the dead. I don't know if it's going to be in our lifetime and having our bodies transformed or whether we're going to die. But Jesus is going to come in the clouds and, and the dead in Christ will rise first. And then those who are alive will come up to be with them forever. So so we're going to join him in that sense. We're going to follow. Him. Look at John chapter 14, verse one. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Verse two. In my father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go first to prepare a place for you later. And if I do that, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Later on, we're going to follow him all the way to heaven. So we have the glory and then the departure. And now comes what? The love. The love. What about in the meantime? When, we're, when Jesus goes away and we're still here, what about that? What about that? Well, he's going to leave them something. Now, he's going to leave them a lot of things. But there's one in particular that addresses that question. What about us now? Look at John chapter 13, verse 34. John 13, 34. A new commandment I give to you. Hopefully there's like an anticipation. I know, maybe you read it a hundred times. Okay, I get it. But Jesus is about to leave. He's about to die. And one of the things he's leaving them with is a new commandment. A new commandment. So I'm sure they were saying, well, what's this? Right? I give a new commandment to you. Notice that you may love one another, even as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And notice verse 35. By this, by you loving one another with the love I have for you and am about to demonstrate by this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. He didn't tell them to, to, to leap buildings in a single bound, did he? No. 
No, he didn't. I mean, so there's a lot of things that we that we do. We're, we're given the power to do. But this is the greatest thing. We lose sight of this. We, we, we see things that are at a human level or we, we hear things in, in, in um, cultural Christianity. And sometimes it can distract us from the simplicity of Jesus just saying, I'm going to give you a new commandment. And if, if you do that, all men will know that you are my disciples. Here's the point. If you really, if you really want the gospel to spread, right? I won't ask for a show of hands, but I bet you every hand will go up, right? But if you really want that, love one another as Christ has loved us. That's first. Sure, are there, of course things come, up, come after that, but that's primary. Jesus is saying that. Paul would say the same thing later on. Verse 35, by this... All men will know that you are my disciples. They'll know it if you have love for one another. That's where it begins. If you if you want to have a, an impact, as we talk about sometimes, on our community, the place it starts is with love for one another. And by one another, it's talking about believers, other believers, the, the community that we have, the kind of love that we are able to exercise. Why? Because what I mean is that it is a love that's really beyond anything that human beings on their own can generate. That's why we we had to practice it with one another, because we all have it. (laughs) It's all been shown to us. We've all we all realize the kind of love that Jesus had for us when he went to the cross. And that's our standard. That's 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 our our our, our lodestar. We know that he has told us to live to love like that. And if we do, people will see that. People will realize that you know what there there's something to them. The, the person they say that they follow their Lord, look look what these people do on that basis. They really are disciples of Jesus, and that opens doors. That opens doors. If you really want the gospel to spread, we'll love one another as Christ has loved us. That's the new kind of love. That's the new commandment. Well, what is the love that Christ has for us? Well, first of all, you know, love love was given as a commandment in the Old Testament. A lot of people say, this is nothing new. You know, even the law says you're supposed to love. Okay. Well, the fact is, though, <laughs> that we're going to see this, I hope, clearly in just a minute. The love that Christ has for us far outstrips the love that was even commanded in the law. Far outstrips it. I want you to see now. Go to Mark chapter 12, verse 28. Mark 12, 28. We're going to begin by looking at what the law commanded the Jews, by the way, in the area of love. Okay. Mark 12, 28. One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognized that he had answered them well. Jesus had answered the, the genius as well. And, asked, and he, the scribe, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? And Jesus answered. The foremost, out of the law now, okay, is hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God. But notice this, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. I hope you're feeling better, man. With all your strength. And the second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I emphasize some things. Your soul, your strength, yourself. And there's no other commandment greater than these. Commandment, meaning the law. That's not the same love that Jesus commands us to have. I'll show you in a minute. The love that Jesus commands us to have wasn't even revealed until he died for us. 
Okay, wasn't available under the law, let's put it that way. Both be, both because he demonstrated it and because we now have the spirit who who who, who enables us to live to love this way. The law could bring us to a point, a point of loving, but notice it was with all of our heart. I want you to think about the limitations of this love. I don't usually think it that way. Love with all your heart, okay? I have a love that's in my own heart. Love with all my soul, okay, I'm a human being with a soul. All my mind, I I can think about things and try to love people. My strength, that's what the law brings us to the point of. However, this new love, this new commandment, it doesn't come from our mind. It doesn't come from our strength, but from Christ's. It's a new commandment. In the same way, the law said, love our neighbor as ourselves. See, there's a standard. What is it? The way in which we love ourselves is the standard and the limitation of the law. It was it limited the kind of love we had for ourselves. Can you see that? It's, it's the standard is us in the in the law in a way. It's how strong are you? Oh, pretty strong. Well, love love God with all that strength, right? It's 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 limited to who we are. But the new commandment, what does it say? It tells us. I mean, the the old commandment rather tells us to love our neighbor as ourselves. I mean, the point. Okay. So I think about how much I love myself, and I'm going to love my neighbor the same way. And that's great, by the way. There's nothing wrong with that. But never mistake that for the kind of love that Jesus is talking about in chapter 13. Because the new commandment, the new one, doesn't tell us to love one another as we love as we love ourselves, but rather as Christ loved us. That's a totally new ball game. Look at John chapter 15, verse 12. John 15, 12. This is what I mean, by the way, that things kind of build on one another in the gospel of John and even how Jesus teaches. He's going to say the same thing. We just heard him say in chapter 13 right here in chapter 15, verse 12. Notice what he says first. This is my commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you. That's identical to what we just saw. But then he goes on. And he goes, I'm going to tell you a little bit about this greater love. Greater love is no one than this that one lay down his life for his friends. That was not commanded in the Old Testament. It's commanded now. Not, and, and not the same way, right? The law says, do this, you'll be blessed. Do that, you won't. Jesus doesn't do that. He says, I demonstrated this for you. And now I want you to live like I showed you how to live. Only now, it's not going to be our love. It's going to be his. It's no gonna be, not going to be our joy. You know, we search for joy. We think we can. It's not. It's going to be his joy that we're going to have. It's not going to be the peace that we can generate. It's the peace that goes beyond all understanding because it's his peace. Can you understand what I'm saying here? That this is all new in the sense that it's coming from Christ himself. So we have the glory, the departure, the life. But sadly, The chapter ends with a very sobering fact, the denial, the denial. Let's go to verses 37 and 38 of John chapter 13, John 13, 37 to 38. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you right now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? But truly, truly, I say to you, a rooster will not crow until you deny me three times. Peter said that he would lay down his life for Jesus. But he can't and he won't. Very simply, the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep, not the other way around. We could never lay down our life for Jesus' benefit. We can only lay down our life for one another's benefit. And even even only after we've been strengthened to be able to do that. But in the moment, 
Peter's spirit may have been willing, but his flesh was very weak. Look at Matthew chapter 26, 69, because in the decisive moment, he failed. He may have wanted to. He did want to. Totally did. He meant what he said. But in the decisive moment, he failed because of his flesh. We all have flesh. Look at Matthew chapter 26, verse 69. Matthew 26, verse 69. Now, Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. And a servant girl came to him. This is how weak he is in the flesh, by the way. A little servant girl came to him and said, you too were with Jesus at Galilean. But he denied it before them all saying, I do not know what you were talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another servant girl saw him and said to those who were there, this man was with Jesus of Nazareth. And again, he denied it this time with an oath. I do not know the man. And a little later, the bystanders came up and they said to Peter, surely you two are one of them, for even the way you talk gives you away as Galilean. Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and he wept bitterly. You know, we all have good intentions. We all say things, we may even mean them at the time. But that, but there's a test that comes when we have those good intentions. See, he was in a very tra- tranquil setting. He was in the upper room. He was surrounded by friends. He was, he was, he was experiencing this tremendous night, evening, and and he was comfortable. And he was, he was saying something that he really meant. At the time, but you know, this is true for all of us. Good intentions that we speak in a tranquil setting can melt away in the face of danger. And that's what happened to Peter. But let's not judge Peter too harshly. A fellow by the name, great boxer by the name of Mike Tyson said one time, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the mouth. So don't judge Peter too harshly. It's what Paul taught us as well. He tells us that nothing good dwells in your flesh. Nothing. It's true of us. Nothing good dwells in our flesh either. You see, in the moment of danger, what can come out is fear. Right? Fear. That's in the flesh. And nothing good comes out of that. Nothing good. Look at Romans chapter 7, 19 as we close this morning. Don't judge Peter too harshly. He completely failed, but so do we. Romans seven nineteen. Good intentions, no carry through. That's that is but that's that's the flesh. Notice verse nineteen, Romans seven, for the good that I want, I want to die with Christ. I want to protect him. Wherever he goes, I want to be there. But what the good that I want, I do not do. Deny him. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. Every one of us are completely wretched now without the power of God. But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Apart from him, we can do nothing. With him, through him, we can do all things. Never forget the source. Never forget the source. All right, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning for allowing us to enter into what the disciples heard that evening and the lessons that they learned and how they failed. And then and then they were strengthened and then they were able to carry out what the Lord had asked them to do, to commanded him to do. And it's the same for us, Father. Help us to grow up. Help us through the mentorship and the power of the Holy Spirit to edify our hearts and souls such that we will also, again, in our weakness that is made strong by God, be able to carry out what Jesus asked us to carry out. We ask all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 Thanks, Pastor. You're welcome, Peter.
All right. Again, Lord's Supper next Sunday. Uh, as always, Bible study on Thursday, 630. Never forget the gospel. I know you hopefully you won't. But it's like anything else, right? You all, we all have a plan. Then we get punched in the mouth. And there'll be times out there where things.